A year and a half ago, we launched Loop Ventures and published a manifesto describing how we saw the world being changed by AI, robotics, and virtual and augmented reality. I was recently reminded of this when I saw a quote from our first manifesto, everything will be a keyboard, everywhere will be a screen. And that was related, of course, to augmented reality. When I saw that quote, I had this moment where I wondered if that was still true. And one of the things at Loop Ventures where we really pride ourselves is on curiosity and not giving in to commitment bias. And so when curiosity leads us to new conclusions, we change our minds. The other thing that happened around the same time I saw that old quote was I read a short article by another VC named Hunter Walk from Homebrew. And he said that your portfolio is your thesis. And that really made a lot of sense to me. And so now that we're a year and a half in and we've got a growing portfolio, we thought it would be useful to update our manifesto and we'll keep updating it from time to time as curiosity leads us in new directions. While some of our direct views have evolved since our first manifesto, one thing really hasn't changed. We're bigger believers than ever that the world is becoming more automated and more experiential. Automation is changing how we work, how we shop and move. And we see this as the future of work, the future of retail, and the future of transportation. This move to automation will also change how we want and expect to experience the world in terms of interacting with others, uh, leisure, and simply living. We see this as the future of communication, the future of play, and neurotechnology. How technologies impact those six futures is where Loop Ventures is focused on being an impactful investor. And now let me go through each of the six categories we're focused on investing in. The future of work. In our first manifesto, we talked about this potential for 70% of jobs to be disrupted by automation long-term. And we still think that that's the case. We still think that a huge amount of jobs that we see today will not exist in the future, but it may take longer than we originally thought. Uh, We have also a brighter view on the reality of what will happen to those people that no longer have jobs that exist today. We see new jobs being created that are uniquely suited for human beings. And so net-net, while labor will certainly be disrupted by automation, jobs will exist in the future for humans long-term. And to break it down, we really see four core opportunities in the future of work, which we call human in the loop, human as AI, pure AI, and pure human. The core insight on the future of work is that for at least the next decade, there will be this gap between what customers want AI to do and what AI can viably do. And to that end, we embrace the reality that humans, in many ways, are robots. We're full of habits, biases, and skills. All of these are similar to programs. Um, Humans can serve as the most efficient AI in the meantime, while we develop and train purely machine-driven forms. So this is where we really see the first two opportunities in the future of work. Uh, The first is the human-in-the-loop opportunity, which enables humans to be augmented by machines to perform tasks more efficiently. And so for human-in-the-loop, machines may perform the majority of a task, especially if it involves calculation or observation or preparing of data, uh, and then they pass that on to a human being to take over in more complex situations and maybe for the application uh, of that work the robot performed. 
An example might be a call center where AI can handle basic requests, it can collect customer information, it can maybe give the customer information, uh, but when that customer needs more help, maybe they're frustrated or even angry, the AI will turn that customer over to a human being who can navigate that more challenging situation. The second opportunity we see we call human as AI, and in this scenario, we create a very rigid set of instructions or processes for humans to follow as if they were an AI. So there are certain tasks that just seem to lend themselves more easily to be done by human beings, at least for now. Um, things like maybe calendar management, where there are personal and business nuances that need to be understood to do the task really well. A machine can do it on a basic level, but may not understand you know, events that aren't on one calendar or another. There may be a family calendar and a business calendar. Uh, there are certain people that might need to be ignored or deflected in email, um, control over how events are grouped and, and preferred meeting locations and things like that. And so it's not impossible for a machine to figure these things out. It's just more practical today to have a human do it if you want it done really, really well. Another offshoot of this that we think is really interesting is using a human being with augmented reality to get instructions from a machine uh, to perform a specific task. So it may be a maintenance task, uh, fixing some sort of machinery where the human in this case doesn't necessarily even need to know that much about the machine, just follow the instructions from the robot given to them through this AR interface. And so both of these opportunities are probably going to impact uh, entry-level workers most significantly over the next decade. The third opportunity we see is what we call pure AI. And this is automation as we all think about it. Robots handling a task end-to-end. -end. And robots, in our opinion, are especially well-suited to perform repetitive tasks, both physical and digital because they don't need breaks. They can work faster and with more precision than human beings. You know, manufacturing, agriculture, industrial applications, all of these are beginning to use these fully autonomous robots that might monitor inventory levels, pick produce, move vehicles. Uh, and we see this category really replacing a lot of the work in the first two opportunities that will happen over the next decade as the AI becomes more efficient, more effective, more capable over time. This is really where that 70% of job disruption happens from. And even though some observers, and we talk a lot about this, fear this disruption as permanent, we actually see a future where both blue and white collar skilled jobs disappear, but new jobs emerge that are uniquely tailored for human capability. And that leads us to the fourth category, which is what we call pure human jobs. And fundamentally, we see human beings have three traits that robots really can't replicate. They are creativity, community, and empathy. And we think those three traits are the long-term future of work for human beings because they're outputs that only a human can authentically deliver. So creative pursuits of the arts will become more valuable as work and play emerge. Communities can only be led by human beings. Humans won't want to be led by robots. And empathy is a uniquely human trait empathic, human-led customer service we think will be a true differentiator for businesses that are otherwise automated. So if we do it right, we should be able to create a world where robots perform tasks that they are best suited for and humans do the same. So we've got this comparative advantage situation. And because of that, we see the future of work as bright, not bleak, especially for humans.
Next, the future of retail. We've maybe invested in and thought about retail more than any other category uh, of the six that we're focused on. And we also see retail in kind of three segments. We see online commerce, automated retail, and empathic retail as the future of retail. And even though we're all very well familiar with online commerce as Amazon Prime members, uh, e-commerce still only makes up about 10% of total commerce in the U.S., excluding gas and groceries. That number is even smaller if you think about it on a worldwide scale. We actually think eventually, long-term, this could be several decades down the line, uh, that number could reach a little bit more than half. So as crazy as it may seem, we're still only in the early innings of online commerce. The biggest challenge for anyone who wants to sell online is, of course, figuring out how to compete with Amazon. Uh, Offerings built around proprietary brands and products seem to have the best chance. And we expect to see a continued emergence of these types of brands that try to own a large niche by creating something purely online without offline distribution. Amazon's also put a stake in the second category of retail that we're excited about, which is automated retail with Amazon Go. And while Amazon may have created a great experience with Go, the technology is really expensive and even impractical right now to apply to larger retail formats uh, or anyone who's not willing to invest significantly in automation. But we see new approaches bringing the cost of automating retail down over time. And we think that anywhere retailers want to compete primarily on price, automation will have to be the future. So reducing employee overhead will enable lower prices for consumers. And if the technology is applied correctly, it should even lead to a better experience. The third component of the future of retail we think is actually maybe the most interesting. We call it empathic retail. And that ties directly to what we just talked about in the last section of this human trait around empathy. For offline retailers that want to compete on something other than just price, their premium will be driven by the experience they provide shoppers. And humans, not robots, are likely to deliver the greatest differentiated experience. So there's this quality of connection when your favorite retail locations know who you are and what you like. It's really hard to replicate with robots alone. We think great customer service delivered by humans will become the most valuable differentiator in empathic retail and will be augmented by AI and robotics, but never replaced by them. The third and final category that we focus on in automation is the future of transportation. And this one is probably the most consensus one of all. Everyone believes in self-driving vehicles, it seems. We take it a step further. We actually see a future where humans not only won't have to drive, but won't be allowed to drive. And admittedly, we're several decades from achieving that future. But if we want a hyper-efficient transportation network, we need to remove human beings from the equation. Billions of dollars have been spent so far on autonomous driving platforms, and we're starting to see early solutions come to market. We have Tesla's Autopilot. We have Waymo. But it will probably take billions of dollars more before we reach that automated transportation future that we all want. Despite the amount of investment and attention we've had on AVs, our infrastructure is still well behind our vehicles. Smarter energy grids, electric vehicle charging, roads, maintenance, all of these are core components of our automated transportation future. Governments seem to be interested in investing in these technologies, but slow to act still. 
To really move this forward, we think companies need to find ways to limit upfront costs to cities and then push their monetization to private players in the transit ecosystem to thrive. As we build these smarter cities with automation at their core, experience will be a major derivative benefit in several ways. Without the burden of driving, humans will have more time to engage in communicating with others. They might have creative work pursuits or other play. We also get back all this time that we spend lost in traffic. Another major benefit of automation is that it reduces the dangers of the road, especially distracted driving. Maybe the biggest difference in experience will be how urban and suburban centers change. Vehicles, whether they're corporately owned or personally owned, will be utilized maximally by fleets that keep them in operation, minimize downtime. Because of this, parking should really be a thing of the past. Either the cars will be in operation or they'll sit in garages that probably exist outside of city centers. And so this should allow us to have streets lined by trees and pedestrians and people on scooters and delivery robots. In talking about experience from automation to segue into the experience categories, the first of which is the future of communication. Meaning divided by time. That's simply how we think about the future of communication. Products that allow people to consume more meaningful information in less time will win in the future and arguably have always won in the past if we think about history. Information is plentiful. We spend more time with information than ever before and now from more sources than ever before, social media, professional content. And to break through and capture our attention, content has to be extremely compelling. The richer, more creative, and more compelling the content uh, and relevance is, of course, always a factor here, the more we will want to consume that content. It feels like a lot of the innovation over the past decade has happened for asynchronous communication, um, where it's not real-time. So tools from Twitter to Instagram to Snapchat. Real-time engagement isn't necessary or even expected. Synchronous communication tools, by comparison, have languished. We have video conferencing tools like FaceTime or Hangouts or Skype, but they haven't really transformed the way we interact on the same order as those asynchronous tools we just talked about, the social media giants. And so we still see an opportunity for a step function improvement in synchronous communication that will shift users toward a world of live and real time. And this doesn't mean we're done innovating in asynchronous communication either. Tools for both mechanisms will continue to evolve by leveraging product features like time restrictions, non-fungible content, combining multiple content formats, and of course, augmented reality. All of these mechanisms enhance meaning divided by time, which enhances our experience as consumers. The next category is probably the most fun by definition, which is the future of play. Humans love competition and entertainment. That's why we watch sports. That's why we love games. And with more time available for leisure in an automated world, we should be afforded more time to engage in play. As we've witnessed with the rise of esports, the future of play will not be beholden to traditional sports or leisure paradigms. Gaming will be the basis for much of the evolution of play. Like traditional sports, games are accessible to all, but mastered by few. And anywhere there is a skill to be mastered, there is beauty. We watch in awe as Ninja plays Fortnite, just as we watch LeBron play basketball. The interactive nature of gaming will influence the future of play. Live and sports have always gone well together. 
We want to see greatness as it happens, not in a replay, to gain the social credit of quote-unquote being there. Live streaming combines the excitement of being there with a unique ability to engage fans in ways not possible with traditional sports. We see this combination as a blueprint for new sports and other forms of play to amass large fan bases. While gaming will be a large component of the future of play, passion activities like music, art, and other forms of human creativity will also enrich and entertain us. Platforms will emerge to not only encourage, but also financially reward participants as play becomes work. The sixth and final category is neurotechnology. The human brain is the basis for both intelligence and experience. Neurotech allows us to understand and even manipulate the brain signals allowing us to directly influence intelligence and experience. Our focus on neurotech could be considered the future of the future of experience, since it will have a profound impact on how we engage with the world through both clinical and consumer applications. On the clinical side, which typically involves invasive and implantable medical devices, our growing ability to simulate sensory experience and stimulate motor function can solve previously unsolvable problems. We have, for example, already witnessed groundbreaking work to restore motion in paralyzed patients. The next frontier is sensory information. We've heard about efforts to restore high-resolution vision to patients with retinal degeneration, and a growing number of devices on the market treat pain through neurostimulation rather than pharmaceuticals. On the consumer side, which is exclusively non-invasive devices today, we can control things like video games and cars with our minds. We can also learn new skills more quickly through specialized neurofeedback devices, and we've only just begun. In the longer-term future, neurotech could truly augment what it means for us to be human. Ideas exist for memory augmentation, brain preservation, and eventually we think we'll be able to simulate a consciousness on a computer. While these probably require decades or more of technological and societal advancements, they illustrate a simple reality that drives our neurotech thesis. The brain is the key to all things in life and to life itself. So in conclusion, in our original manifesto, we outlined a future of vast automation and limitless lifelike experience, a future that would make Arthur C. Clarke proud. We still believe in that future, and the path is slightly clearer than before. Some fear our vision of the future because progress always brings new challenges, but our future is bright. Human desire drives innovation, adaptation, and survival. We called it utopia. However, utopia, like many things in life, is relative. Utopia today raises expectations such that it isn't utopia tomorrow. We may only approach utopia every now and then, but it's always the journey that makes the destination worth it. Loop Ventures is excited to pioneer that journey.